0: I just want to thank uh, Pastor Randy for giving me the opportunity to preach the word of God. I just um, I've just been praying about what the Lord would have me to minister tonight, and uh, I really pray that it it blesses you. And um, I just want to thank the church for always being an encouragement to me, and and um, praying for me and praying for tonight. I really desire the Lord to speak tonight for me not to speak. Um, I have nothing to say, but the Lord has something to say. But I just want to pray one more time, Lord. I just pray for the message you've given. Me for tonight, Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would move, God, through the message and amongst people's hearts, Lord. I just pray, Father, that you would help us to respond to your word, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, the Lord had given me this message, and I, and I titled it, um, The Battle for the Faith to Believe. And I don't know what many of you perhaps may be struggling with tonight. Perhaps you're struggling with unbelief. Um. Struggling with unbelief maybe in, in certain areas of your life. Maybe you're struggling with your walk with the Lord. Maybe you feel very dry. Maybe you've been praying for healing for a very long time. Maybe you've uh, battled depression. you battled discouragement. Uh, perhaps you're facing challenges in your finances. Perhaps you're facing challenges in your family. Perhaps you've been praying for a very long time for a family member to come to the, to come to know the Lord. Um, the Lord knows what the needs are in each one of our hearts tonight. And, you know, a lot of times we hear the Scriptures, we hear the Word of God, and it's hard walking in it. It's hard um, pressing through in it. And a lot of times, I know for me, we just, we forget. We forget what the Lord did for us yesterday. Sometimes we even forget what the Lord spoke to us yesterday. And I pray that this Word, you probably heard many, if not all the Scriptures already, but I pray that it would be a refreshing, it would be an encouragement, the word of God says to stir one another up. And we, we, you know, we, we got uh, the teaching in Peter where it says that bring to remembrance. Remember what Pastor Rainier was preaching in, in the book of Peter, bring to remembrance, bring to remembrance. And I pray that these scriptures would help bring to remembrance what is the fundamental um, pillar of, of our faith of Christianity. And that is faith. It's a very, very simple thing, but it's a very hard thing to walk in. Um, You know, a lot of times, I know for me, when we face challenges and we face very difficult situations, our minds start racing and we start trying to figure things out. We we use our logic, we use our common sense and we think, "Okay, this is probably going to happen. This may not happen. This doesn't look like it's going to happen. We look at the physical and a lot of times we operate on on our senses. So how I feel right now, I don't feel like praying. I don't believe something's going to happen. This is the physical that I see right now, and I don't see any way out. I don't see any way this problem, this issue can be resolved. I just don't see it. And amen, I God gave us eyes for a reason, right? And he gave us even our feelings. But sometimes those feelings and those senses don't line up with something that God's trying to show us. And that's because God calls us to walk by faith. 2 Corinthians 5.7 says, For we walk by faith. Not by sight. How many of you walk your Christian life many days by your sight? I know I do. Lord, this doesn't look like a very good situation. Lord, this doesn't look like it can really be resolved. Right. And so a lot of times we react when we face these challenges, when we face these problems. We look at them with our own sight and we don't walk through it in faith. And that's not what the Bible says. And that's not what the Lord calls us to do. He calls us to walk by faith. And not by our sight. And not by the way we feel in the moment. Hebrews ten thirty-eight to 39 says. Just for the sake of time I'll quote it. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any men draw back. My soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back. Unto perdition. But of them that believe to the saving of the soul. What does the Word of God keep saying? That the just shall live by faith, right? We walk by faith, not by sight. That's, that's repeated many, many times through the Bible. And we need that repetition. We need to keep hearing that because the, the tendency in our flesh, the tendency in our life is to, to, to go back, to kind of revert back to our, our senses, to revert, to revert back to our flesh and to walk in our flesh. The Bible calls us to walk what? In the Spirit and not in our flesh, right? And faith is walking spiritually because we all have brains. God has given us brains for a reason, all right? And we we think things through. There's nothing wrong with that. But when it comes to this spiritual walk with God, when it comes to the things of God, it's not just my mind I'm using. It's not just my mind and my my physical eyes uh, that dictate how I should walk with God. My faith should dictate my walk. Not my sight. Amen. What does Hebrews 11 say? 11.1. One, and I'm going to read this out of the Amplified. And I'm just going to read it for the sake of time. Because we're going to go through several scriptures. I will have us turn to together. But Hebrews 11.1. One, the Amplified just kind of brings it out um, in a deeper way. It says, Now faith is the assurance, title, deed, confirmation of things hoped for, divinely guaranteed, and the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of their reality, faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. And I love how, that, how it's drawn out there. The conviction of the reality and comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. It's something supernatural. It's something that God has to do spiritually through us to give us that faith. When all the physical facts say it's impossible through God, all things are possible. Amen? Amen. And you know, when you when you looked at when you look at the ministry of Christ on this earth, those three years where he ministered, he was always looking and we're going to get through some of those scriptures. He was always looking to see for people of faith. He was always looking to see and observe if someone would have faith to believe that he would do something, that he could heal someone, that he could touch someone. And we're going to go through some of those scriptures. Um, One of the mentions of that is actually in Luke 18, 8, the last part of the verse. And again, I'm just going to read it for the sake of time. But Christ had just finished talking about something, and this is a, a striking statement. He says at the very end, he says, when the son of man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? What does that mean? That means you and I as Christian men and women, obviously it's talking about faith to believe in him and be saved, but I'm talking to us as saved men and women of God. God is looking to this church and to each one of us individually to see if we have faith to believe him. That's convicting to me because I lack in faith many days. I walk in this flesh I react to situations in this flesh instead of walking by faith and how God is commanding me to do. And I want the Lord to find faith in my heart. Amen. Second Chronicles 16.9. Again, I'll just read it for the sake of time says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. What are these scriptures saying? It says that God is actively looking. He's actively looking everywhere to see where he can show himself strong. He's looking to see, looking to see if he can find a man of faith, a woman of faith, and and where does he find that? He says to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. And I pray that the Lord would give me a heart perfect towards him. That I would believe that he can do what he can do. I would believe that he can do what he promised that he's going to do. Amen. Y'all turn with me to Romans chapter 4. The Apostle Paul describes, you know, the beginning of Romans. Incredible account of faith. The fundamentals of our Christian walk are covered in the book of Romans. And when he talks about Abraham... In Romans chapter 4, he says a, very stri- a couple of really just striking things to me and, and just as the Lord gave me this message. Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 19, it says, speaking of Abraham, and being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God Through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And look at what it says in verse 21. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. What is this passage saying? Abraham sees his body, it's old, sees his wife, she's old. How can these old people have children? But God has promised a child to them. What does it say that Abraham did not do? He didn't look at his physical body. He didn't look at the physical impossibilities. But what did he do? God had specifically promised to him. I will give you a child. And what did he do? Was he kind of persuaded? Was he maybe a little bit persuaded? What does it say? He was fully persuaded. That he... He who had promised was also able to to perform. He wasn't even presuming upon God. God had promised this. But physically, it was impossible for it to happen. But he was fully persuaded that if God said he could do it, and he would do it, that he would really do it. And I pray that I would do that for the promises of God in my life. Amen? Um. I want to go through a couple of just examples in the New Testament and in the in the ministry of Christ. And I'm going to go a little bit deeper into one uh, one specific instance. But if you can turn with me to Matthew, we're going to look at one passage, one instance of um, many instances God had, Jesus had with individuals as he was healing and he was touching them. Matthew, chapter eight, and we're going to look at verses six to ten. And I don't believe it's, it's a coincidence the Lord had given um, Pastor Randy this, um, this passage. I think we were, we were praying for healing, praying for the sick Sunday night. But it says, starting in verse 6, And saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, this is speaking of the centurion. And saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I'm a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled. And said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And that's incredible. Jesus, it literally says that Jesus marveled at his faith. And when I read that passage, it convicts me because I I stop and think, does, does Jesus marvel at my faith? I'm not trying to glorify myself or a faith I may have, but speaking about what we, the scriptures we talked about at the beginning where the Lord's looking, okay? Does he marvel at my faith? Many days, I would say he doesn't. And what does the centurion, the centurion says something very, very profound because what does he recognize in Jesus. He was, a, he was a man of war, he was a military man, he was a man of authority, and he knew that when he commanded a servant, he commanded someone under him to do something they would do it. What is he recognizing about Jesus? He recognizes in Jesus the authority as the Son of God to speak something, and it happens. Y'all, I struggle with that so many times. I just get so entrenched in my own little world, my own little feelings, my own little puny view of what God can do, and I fail to recognize the great authority, the great power, the great majesty, the God that created this world can't do the simplest little thing I'm struggling with. And I'm struggling to believe Him to do. That convicts me, y'all. I want to have a faith, such a simple faith, that realizes the full authority and full power of God, even when He tarries. And we're going to look at that in just a second even as we wait for him to answer. One of the greatest miracles and some of the greatest miracles that Jesus performed was bringing people up from the dead. Because, and and the Lord performed these miracles and he performed this third one that we'll talk about in a deeper sense. He performed it so that there would be absolute no doubt, absolute no doubt with any of the men and women that he ministered to that this was the power of God that did it. Because perhaps some could say when he's healing, Oh, with some of the miracles at least, well, you know, maybe that might have just been a coincidence and, and that person just started feeling better. You know, obviously with leprosy he could but death is one of the, mo- is one of the, the deepest and, and most ultimate miracles that Christ would perform um, on this earth. And, and not only that, but it had spiritual significance because it spoke into the, the new life that the Lord would bring. Um, to a Christian man and woman. Because what happened in the Garden of Eden? Death entered into the world. But when Jesus came into this world, what did He introduce? He introduced life. He could, he could cause the dead to now be alive. Amen? And so let's look at those instances. Um, if you could turn with me to Luke chapter 7. And we're going to look at uh, verses 12 to 15. And this will be the first of three instances recorded in the Bible That Jesus raises someone from the dead. And I love how the Lord was just looking. As he walked this earth physically. He was physically looking. um, To the people that he would be performing these miracles. And so um, verse 12 says. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city. Behold there was a dead man carried out. The only son of his mother. And she was a widow. And much people of the city was with her. So in this time, uh, women relied very much on men to be able to to be financially sustained, uh, to have financial stability. Uh, Sometimes it would work, but whenever their children would die and their husbands would die, it was very hard for them to have a financial means to support themselves. And so this woman, having her son, her only son die, uh, she was completely devastated. And what does it say? About Jesus when he looks to her in verse 13, he says, and when he saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, weep not. And, you all whatever circumstance you're going in, sometimes for me, the smallest thing seems like the end of the world. But for each one of you that is going through something very difficult, the Lord has compassion on that situation he really does. And you see it spelled out in the scriptures. It says that he was, had compassion on her. And what does he tell her? He says, weep not. And he came and he touched the bier, which was a form of a coffin. And they that bare him stood still. And he said, young man, I sing unto thee arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And he delivered him to his mother. I've never seen the dead, physical dead, be risen, but I would imagine that was quite a spectacle for the throng of people who, who basically just kind of awkward just had a funeral for this guy, or in the process of a funeral. And Jesus comes in the middle of that situation and he says, Young man, arise. And he arises. And he delivers, you know, in a very personal way, Jesus delivers this, this now alive young man to the widow. Amen. And so this was shortly, shortly after the funeral. OK, let's look at another situation where Jesus raises the dead. Let's go to um, Luke chapter eight, the following chapter. And this is another circumstance. This is speaking of Jairus and his young daughter. And it's kind of a long passage just to kind of set it up a little bit. As Jesus was ministering, Jairus came up to Jesus and he says, my daughter is sick. Can you please come? And as he's, and he's speaking this, Jesus says, I'll come. Um, there's a lot of people around him. He's going into the city. There's a lot of people pressing into him. Jesus at this time had become very popular in a sense amongst people. And so we're thronging to him, seeing the miracles are happening. Um, there's a woman that comes. This is the same situation um, where or same circumstance where the woman comes in and she presses in and she touches Jesus and she's completely healed. And so I would imagine for this main gyrus, he's kind of in. Um, a little anxious because um, Jesus is having to make his way to the house, and he's just—I would imagine—if I were put in, in Jairus's shoes, he's probably really antsy and like, "Okay, Jesus, you know, come on, you know, stop talking to those people. Come on, you need to, you need to come, and you need to take care of me. You need to come take care of, of um, my daughter." And so, while all this is going on, Jairus is one of his his servants comes, and uh, if you can look with me in in verse forty nine. A chapter 8, while, yet he, while he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Thy daughter is dead, trouble not the master. I can imagine those, that news was pretty bad. And if I were to put myself in Jairus' shoes, I would be pretty upset in the sense of, God, why'd you take so long? Look what happened. And, and physically, okay, his friend, we don't know if there was a servant, there was someone that he knew, can, comes and telling mm. him, don't even trouble, don't trouble God anymore. It's too late, okay? Don't even trouble him anymore. I love this, verse 15. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. What's Jesus saying? Don't listen to anything man is telling you. Look at me and listen to me. Believe only, and she shall be made whole. He just made him a promise, okay? Verse 51 And when he came into the house, he suffered no man to go in, save Peter and James and John, and the father and the mother of the maiden. And all wept and bewailed her. But he said, Weep not, she is not dead, but sleepeth. Verse 53. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. You know what? The, the, the world will laugh and scorn at Christianity, will laugh and scorn at the promises of God, will laugh and scorn at the physical impossibility of the whole situation. This world will laugh and scorn. And and they, in a sense, they had reason to scorn, right? They said she was dead. She was physically dead, right? What does Jesus do? He says he put them all out. He took her by the hand and called, saying, Maid, arise. And her spirit came again, and she arose straightway. And he commanded to give her meat. And I love the, the beginning of this next verse, 56. And her parents were astonished. They were astonished at what the Lord could do when the whole situation was physically impossible. Amen. Let's look at this third circumstance where, and probably the most famous, where a man was raised from the dead. Okay. And this is found in, in John chapter 11. So I can turn there and I'll kind of speak to what, um, what passage we're going to look into but John chapter 11 talks about a certain family. And this family uh, involved three siblings. It was a man by the name of Lazarus. And his, um, he had two sisters. One was named Martha and one was named Mary. And there's another passage um, in scripture that speaks about a, a situation uh, where Jesus is speaking both to Martha and to Mary. And so from what we could tell in the scriptures... Jesus knew this family pretty well. He spent time with them. He visited their home. Um, these, this family, uh, I would imagine, felt a very deep connection to God, and they did. They had a, a deep connection to Jesus. They had a relationship with him. Um, and we'll see this through the scriptures. And so, if anyone, you would think these are the people that the Lord would really favor and would be really quick to listen, really quick to move, really quick to do what they ask him to do. Okay. But Jesus decides to do something different. In this situation. Okay. And I really believe the reason he decides to do something different. Is because he had a relationship with this family. Okay. And I feel the same with us as Christians. As men and women of God. As sons and daughters of the king. We do have that special relationship with the Lord. Because we're his sons and we're his daughters. And sometimes the Lord's going to deal a little differently with us as his sons and daughters that he may he may other people. okay? And I mean that in a good way. All right. Um, John chapter 11. And we're going to start in verse one. And I'm just going to kind of break up some of the scriptures we'll go through and I'll try to go through them quickly. Now, a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped her feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, his sister sent unto to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. And when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Let me just stop here and just kind of mention a couple of things that are kind of seem out of place in these verses. So the verses are really setting up the stage for showing how close this family was to Jesus. OK, it even spoke about the great love that Mary um And and I read some commentary, they're not sure if this happened before or afterwards, but that Mary is the one, one of the ones that had anointed Jesus's feet. And so you see a great adoration uh, with this family, particularly with Mary towards Jesus. And so, you know, you kind of think, okay, Jesus needs to to really, you know, really, really treat them well. And I say that sarcastically um, how we think the Lord should treat us. But verse six says something very striking because it says when he heard that he was sick, what did he do? He didn't run quickly to the town, right? He didn't, you know, get on a on a on a donkey and try to get there quick. What does he do? It says he abode two days in the same place. He stayed in the same place because apparently. The family has sent messengers to try to find Jesus. Jesus is ministering, okay, he's moving around, to try to find him and tell him, hey, remember us, our brother, he's very sick, he's about to die, we need you to come really quickly. And Jesus stays in the same place, okay? He doesn't doesn't respond how I think he should respond. He certainly doesn't respond how this family thinks because, again, I don't want to read too much into Scripture, but I'm sure the servants or whoever comes back and is going to tell Mary and Martha that whether he's on his way or not. And, and the only answer that they get from Jesus is what? That this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. And so, Jesus made that promise at the beginning, at least those servants would hear that, that this sickness is not unto death, but there is a, there's a greater purpose For the Lord in this, there's a glory in this situation that God wants to reveal not only to this family, but to all of Israel and to us reading this this passage now, right? Y'all skip with me down to verse 11. Okay. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit, Jesus spake of his death, but they thought he had spoken of taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, to the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Sometimes when the Lord speaks to me, in my little pea brain, it's hard for me to understand. And and, (laughs) in this case, it was a little hard for the disciples to understand, right? Because they're, okay, what's Jesus saying? I'm confused with the whole sleeping, okay, waking him, what does that mean? And then Jesus just kind of laid it out. He's dead, okay? But he says, he doesn't just leave it at that. He says, There's a greater purpose in what I'm about to do. And and, and what does he say? He says, um, he says, I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there to the intent that you may believe. It's kind of a weird thing you would think Jesus to say that he's glad that he wasn't there, right? But why is Jesus saying this? Because there's something greater in it than just that sickness. There's something greater and deeper than just. The crisis of this family. Okay, there's something greater that God wants to do in this situation, and He's glad because He's wanting to teach the disciples some very important things that they were they would encounter later on in their ministries, and even for them to recall and remember when Jesus ends up dying. He says, "I'm glad for your sakes um, to the intent that you may believe." So, why is He saying there? He's saying, "I want you." To believe in what I tell you. I want you to believe in what I'm capable of doing. Okay. Because I'm going to allow this situation. To get so bad and so impossible. That no one else is going to be able to do anything but him. Amen. All right. Let's keep moving. Um, in verse 17. And, and before I start reading. um. This part, it would have been, and I think, yeah, it says in the next passage, in the next verse, that there's going to be four days. It's four days from when these servants came and spoke to Jesus about what is going on. And I would imagine day by day, Mary and Martha are thinking, okay, you know, asking you shall receive. We've asked. We haven't received day one. Day two. Day two. Day three, day four, and then we know Lazarus dies. So I would imagine what's racing through their minds, what um, questions they have about what is God doing, Uh, maybe perhaps even a sense of betrayal. God, how could you let this happen to us? You loved our family. You love Lazarus. How could you let this happen? So I would imagine all kinds of things are probably brewing in their hearts and their minds As they're waiting these four days. But verse 17 it says. When Jesus came. He found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nine to Jerusalem. About 15 furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary. To comfort them concerning their brother. And so. Who do they have come and comfort them? They don't feel in that sense. They don't feel Jesus comforting them. But they have their family, I would imagine, trying to comfort them. They have their neighbors trying to comfort them. And so at this moment, the only comfort they're receiving is the comfort that the world can provide. Okay. Verse 20. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She said unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Let me stop right there. Jesus ends up having a very direct conversation with both sisters. And and, uh, I would imagine both of us probably fit into one of those kind of personalities or places in our walk with God And how we question the Lord. So when Jesus comes, um, and we can tell at least a little bit from another passage in scripture describing Martha and and Mary. Martha is like the responsible one. Martha has it together. She's the one that's clean and she's the one that's, you know, she's the responsible one. She's the logical one. She's the one, uh, you know, quote unquote, common sense. And so as soon as she hears Jesus is there, she's going to go and she's, in a, she's going to ask him some questions. She says, Jesus, we've told you he was sick. If you would have been here, he wouldn't have been dead. And I don't think she says it in a, in a disrespectful way. But as you see the conversation between her and Jesus, she almost has like just the right answers, right? She kind of has the Sunday school answers. She says, you know, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. But I know that whatever you say, you know, whatever you ask God, he's going to give it to you. And so Jesus says, and when he's responding, yes, he says, what does he tell her? He says, your brother's going to rise again. Okay. And then, you know, she says, yeah, 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 I know. There's a resurrection you've talked about. He says a little bit deeper. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. You just, she just told him. Whatever thou ask of God, God will give it to thee, right? She just said that. So he's responding to her. He says, on the resurrection of the life, he that believeth in me, though he were dead, he shall live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And after he makes his statement, he, he kind of puts the, the ball back in her court and he says, do you believe this? And Martha's answer is is a right answer, but it's not a full answer, is it? What is she saying? She says, I believe you're the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. So she says, I know that you're my Savior. I know that you're the Christ. I know that you're the Messiah that was prophesied all through the Old Testament. And she stopped right there. She doesn't say, I believe you can rise my brother right now. She's already said, I know he's going to rise, you know, when Jesus comes back. But she doesn't respond to Jesus' question fully. And y'all, I do that a lot of times in my walk with God. Whenever God's speaking to me, or whenever God causes me to face a situation, it's like I give the Sunday school answer, and I kind of give like the half answer. Like, Jesus, uh, you're, you're the Christ. <laughs> but it's like my heart can't say, I believe that you can do the impossible. I believe that you can do the physically impossible. I believe what you promised in your word that you can do the physically impossible. She didn't go that far. Okay. And this goes into walking by faith and not by sight. Okay. And so let's keep reading verse 28. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, the master has come and calleth for thee. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. The Jews then, which were with her in the house and comforted her, when they saw Mary, that she arose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died, and so what happens here? Right after Martha finishes, kind of her almost curt answer, she turns around and she goes gets her sister, and she's kind of like saying, "Hey, it's rude. You need to come. You know, you need to come. Jesus is waiting for us." Okay, and and you see, Jesus doesn't go to the grave yet. He's still in the same place. He's kind of, and that's sort of a spiritual picture too. He's waiting at the gate of the city, and he's waiting for these sisters to come to him. And so how does Mary's personality is a little bit different? How does she come when she's told again for the second time, she's so probably overcome with emotion that she gets up quickly and she runs to him. And what does she do? She falls at his feet. She's broken. She's a very broken, tearful woman. And she says that she weeps, right? Or she felt she was was weeping. She falls down at his feet and she says unto him, if you would have been here, My brother had not died. So she repeats the same statement as Martha does, okay? So even though they're different personalities, they're struggling with that same question in their heart. Jesus, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. And um, we're going to see the way Jesus responds to this situation. And I believe this passage, too, gives great insight into... Um, and I want to be careful how I say this, um, the personality of God and, and Jesus being in, the physical, in a physical body, the way he, his emotions were, and I don't mean that in a bad way, in a carnal way, but the way that he reacted to the people around him and how they didn't believe him and they didn't trust him. And how they interacted with him. And we're going to see this. Starting verse 33. Verse 33, It says. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping. So she was weeping. I'm sorry. And the Jews also weeping. Which came with her. He groaned in the spirit. And was troubled. It says he groaned in his spirit. And he was troubled. And I've read this passage before. And I've always been a little confused as to what that really means. And I've just kind of been praying through it and just reading into uh, what some people say that passage means. And it says that the, the groaning in the spirit and the troubling, it says that that groaning means almost a moving with indignation. That there's, it's like an anger stirring up. And, and the troubling that Jesus has in, in Jesus is seeing them weeping Right. So it says that he's troubled and he's groaning after he's seen all the Jews and the sisters weeping. Jesus's reaction to that is that he groans and then he's troubled. Okay, And so what does he say in verse 34? He says, and he said, where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Shortest passage in the whole Bible. Jesus wept. And Jesus wept why? He had just promised his sisters, Martha specifically, that he would rise again. Right? But because he didn't come and he didn't do things exactly how they thought he would do it, they're weeping and they think it's the whole cause is lost. And this is the same Lord, the same God that's looking to see how he can find himself, how he can show himself strong, right? His, his eyes are roaming, looking to see who himself, who he can, how he can show himself strong. This is that same Lord, that passage is from the Old Testament, Second Chronicles, same Lord. And here, there's that same heart, that same desire to show himself strong. But what's the reaction? There's a total, total breakdown, weeping, crying. Accusations. How could you do this, Jesus? Right? And the Lord's reaction, he's groaning, he's troubling, and he weeps. Okay, he weeps. And perhaps some scholars would say that he's weeping for Lazarus being dead. I I believe that's probably part of it too. There's a there's a sadness in the Lord seeing the death that comes as a result of sin, right? That happened in Genesis, death is a result of sin. So I really believe Jesus is weeping for that as well. But I also believe he's weeping at the way people have reacted in their unbelief towards what he could do, okay? And I believe the Lord looks the same way towards his church when he's trying to find people of faith, trying to see... Who has faith to believe that he can do the impossible? Many times he finds Christians weeping, devastated in unbelief, not believing God for what he's promised that he would do. And I believe the Lord reacts in a groaning and, and a troubling and a weeping that, that his own church, his own, these own people that he, he visited with, didn't trust him enough to know that he knew, that Jesus knew what he was doing. And not only that he knew what he was doing, but he specifically promised to them that he, would, that he would rise again, okay? Verse 36, Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. Okay? So they see Jesus' emotions. They say, and they're like, Okay, wow, he really, he, he really loved this man. Verse 37, And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? So there's that verbal accusation, right? Okay, he's, Jesus is, is weeping. I mean, he, he could open the eyes of the blind. Why can not he, he do this? Why didn't he come in time, right? And so there's that accusation of the world. So we see previous in that other passage that there's a mocking, there's a laughing at, and here there's the accusation. Look, he can't even, he loved him, he wouldn't even save him, okay? Verse 34, Jesus therefore again, again groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. So he's, Jesus is physically walking now to where that, um, that place is. And we're going to see in the next couple of verses the incredible authority of the Son of God over death. Amen. And I'll try to go through these quickly. Let's take a time. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. For he had been dead four days. Right? Here's Miss Logical Martha. Okay, it's going to stink, Jesus. Are you sure you want to do this? You know, It's going to smell really bad. Verse 40. Jesus said unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? He repeats to her what he just said in a different way. But it's the glory of God. If you would believe, you would see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, "Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me." So there would be no doubt amongst the Jewish people, this is the Messiah. Okay? Because that was another reason this the Lord orchestrated this the way he did to prove to the people of Israel the Jewish people that he was the son of God okay and when he had thus spoken he cried with a loud voice Lazarus come forth and he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was bound about with a napkin Jesus saith unto them loose him and let him go (laughs) Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus said, did, I'm sorry, believed on him. Incredible passage, incredible move of God, incredible. The Lord just speaks something and it happens, right? We see it already in the Bible. Genesis is full of it. Jesus, God and, and, and John talks about Jesus being right there in the creation. God would just say something. Out of nothing, it would appear. Out of nothing, something would appear. This is the same God, okay? Now, Jesus is on the physical form here on this earth. Death is a very real thing. Death death is a very physical, real thing that happens quite often. Here's a man that's been in the grave four days. And some scholars believe there was a, I don't know if it was a superstition, but there was a teaching that uh, around three or four days, the spirit was still kind of around the person. And so... Many people believe another reason that Jesus waited those four days is that there would be no doubt that this was a very dead man. There wasn't, oh, we accidentally put him in the grave and he might have been sleeping in there. Or There was absolutely no doubt, physically impossible, that this man would be alive. But what does Jesus do? He comes in in his timing, in his ordained timing, with a reason for a purpose and he says, Lazarus, it says with a loud voice, so everyone around could hear. So it wasn't, oh, he just, you know, it just kind of happened. Jesus prays to the Father and he says, God, that they may know that you have sent me. And he commands them, take that stone away, and he says, Lazarus, <laughs> come forth. And I imagine, everyone's mouths just drop open. Wow. And there, you, could also, you should, could also, there's many sermons that That You could go into about what that means spiritually too, that he's bound in those gray clothes and and Jesus says loose him from that. There's a lot of uh, spiritual symbolism in that with, with sin and things like that. But Jesus shows his ultimate authority, not only that he could heal the blind like these people accused him of being able to do and not even touch him. He says, not only could he do that, but more than, and not only could he touch a a man that was coming out of a funeral, not only could he touch a young girl that had just died, but just so all of you can be very clear that Jesus is the son of God and he raises the dead. I'm going to wait four days for that man to be in that grave so you can see my glory. And what did he say to the disciples? So that you may believe, so that you may believe. What happens? Let's fast forward to Jesus dying. Remember, all the disciples are so confused. Um, you know, they try to be brave. Uh, he's taken. Jesus taken. He's bound. He's he's whipped. He's scourged. He's crucified, and then he's dead. And then there's those two people. Remember those two people on the rotemas, and they're so confused. They're like, "Oh, all these things have happened, and and man, Jesus died." You know. What happened to to Jesus? We thought he would do all these things. There's all these doubts. But Jesus had raised Lazarus. Could he not raise himself? But how quickly do we forget the miracles that God does? Right? We quickly forget them. And that's why I said this at the beginning. That we quickly forget the things God's promised. We quickly forget... The miracles he's even done in our lives, years past and even recently, we get so embedded, so involved in our own pain, our own disappointment, that we quickly forget the things that God's done. Happened to the best of them, happened to the disciples. Okay, And when they were ministering, I really believe as they ministered in the book of Acts, the miracles that happened, they remembered one of the greatest miracles Jesus did. Um, before he died was raising Lazarus. And I just want to close with a couple of scriptures. And um, I don't think it's a coincidence, brother, that you quoted this scripture um, as we finished our praise and worship. Luke, if y'all can turn with me. And I know we've gone over a little bit, um, but just bear with me. Luke chapter 11, and we're going to be verses 9 to 10. This passage is also found in another gospel. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that sleepeth, I'm sorry, everyone that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. I'm not presuming upon you or upon anyone that that I can raise someone from the dead or I can touch you and heal you. But I do know what the scripture says. It says, if you ask, you shall receive. If you seek him, you shall find. I'm not going to presume to tell you that everyone we pray for is going to be healed, even with all the faith that the Lord may give me. God may have a greater purpose in letting that sickness remain or allowing that person to pass away. God may have a greater purpose that I may not understand on this earth until I'm in heaven. Just like they didn't understand this at the moment either. But I do know this, that if I ask him and I press in, he is going to speak to me. And when he promises me something, he is going to answer. Amen? Amen. And so if you're struggling through this situation, maybe there's a lot of confusion. You don't know what God's wanting to do. What does the scripture verse say? That if you ask, you're going to receive. And I love where he says that. He says, and y'all, this is, and I know this is the call that that Pastor Rainy, you've given to us, that it's not only we believe in our mind, it's not only that, that we know in our mind these are the right scriptures and I'm supposed to have faith, but that we act in faith. There's a moving as a man and woman of God that I move in my faith, I act in my faith. When I receive the grace of God, I act in the grace of God. Right? I don't just sit here and receive things. What does it say? It obviously says that I receive it. What does Jesus preface that? He says, ask. He says, seek. He says, knock. Right? That requires action on my part. It doesn't mean I try to work up something, but my faith has to act, has to push me to move, to press in. God, I need you to heal me. God, I need you to touch the situation. God, I need you to give me wisdom. God, I need you to loose the the bound. I need you to move. God, I need you to fill me with my Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit. I need you to do that. Your word says, ask. Your word says, seek. Many of us don't know the promises of God specifically for our life because we don't seek them. We don't ask for them. We don't knock at Jesus' door and say, God, answer me. Right? And so not only is the problem that I don't have faith and I don't believe, I don't <laughs> ask him. I don't seek him. And it's hard for me. A lot of times in our in our walk with God, we go through through periods of confusion. And sometimes God's gonna be quiet for a reason, but I think a lot of times when we're in confusion, it's because we haven't sought we haven't sought God. I think that was right times. We haven't looked for him, we haven't looked for what he wants to tell us in this situation. If you're in a crisis right now, if you're in a spiritual situation right now, if you're whatever you're struggling with right now, have you really sought God? Have you really been knocking on that door? Have you really been asking God, show me, show me, show me. Show me what you want to do. Promise. Show me, God. And I think that's so important for us to do, even in this whole context about having the faith to believe, is that we have to seek Him. We have to hear from Him. A couple more scriptures, and then we'll finish up. And I'll just read this for the second time. The same way Jesus marveled at belief, the scripture also says that he marveled at their unbelief. Matthew 13, 58 says, And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. And guess where that was that they was speaking about? It was his own hometown. The people that should have known Jesus didn't believe him. Does Jesus marvel at the unbelief in his own church? The people that know him. Mark 6, 6 says, another instance, it says, and he marveled because of their unbelief. So it's repeated again. Jesus marvels at people's unbeliefs. In the same way he marvels at their belief, he marvels at their unbelief, okay? Perhaps you're struggling with unbelief. Let me share the scripture verse. Mark 9, 24. This is a man, uh, an account of a, of a father. His child had this... Um, um, he was possessed, it seemed like. Um, and, and the disciples, no one, could, no one could address the situation. They had to come to Jesus. And, and the man, this is the, <clears throat> this is the verse that kind of hits right at it. He says, And straightway the father of the child cried out and saith with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Maybe you're in that situation right now where you're like, God, I want to believe, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Help me in the part that seems so impossible. That has me so distraught. That physically I can't believe. But I want to believe. Help me to believe. God can help us believe. Let me let me close. Um, with this last verse. And Mr. you can come up. Jeremiah chapter 29. Y'all God is not a cruel master. He's not a cruel father. That just enjoys watching us be in pain. And, and suffering. And. And, you know, I think sometimes the devil, the devil causes us to believe that, you know, does God even care about me? Why would why would he allow these things to happen to me? OK, that's not the character of God. I've seen the scriptures that he had compassion and he wept and he was moved. Right. So he knows my cry. He does. Jeremiah 29, 11, 12, very famous scripture it says, for I know the thoughts That I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. There's an expected end in your crisis. There is an expected end in the problems you're going through. Discouragement, depression, whatever it may be that you're going through right now, there's an expected end. And there's an intention of God to give you thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. The next verse says, Then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. What is that speaking to Is that sometimes those crises that God allows us to go through, it's, it's because He wants us to seek Him. We get so caught up in our own blessed life where everything's smooth. We forget to talk to God. We forget to press into Him. We're in a time of blessing, of joy, and Oh, oh! I forgot to get up in the morning and read my Bible and pray. You know, and then what does that verse say? It says that he, you know, the thoughts that I have towards you, that you would turn to me and that you were hearkening to me. And I would pray, pray that just as an altar call tonight, in your seat or come to this altar, is that you would see God, you would cry out to Him, you'd ask Him, Lord, give me, forgive my unbelief. Forgive the doubts that I have in my life. Forgive me for doubting so much your goodness, for doubting so much your purposes in my life. Forgive me for letting the the devil trouble me. And give me a heart of of faith to believe the impossible, to believe the physically impossible, to believe the whole situation being impossible, that, God, you can do something. And that we would even pray, God, glorify Yourself. As painful as this is, God, glorify Yourself. Glorify Your name. Glorify Jesus. And help me to seek and find Your face. And Lord, we pray that tonight. God, I pray for each one of us, God. Help us to remember these scriptures, Lord. Help us to remember Your promises, God. As we're struggling through things, Lord. Help us to remember, Lord. I pray for one another, God, that we would remember. One another to God, that we would remind each other of your promises, God. Sometimes I need someone to remind me of that, Lord. I pray tonight would would have been that God for me here. And that I would preach to myself, Lord, that God, you are the God of the impossible. You're the God of life. You're the God of peace. And God, each one of us have an expected end as your children, Lord. Help us, God, to press in, Lord. Help us to seek God tonight. Help us to knock at your door, Lord. Let us not give up, God. Lord, though you may tarry, God, let us continue pressing forward, Lord. Help us to walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, I pray that when your eyes are looking to and fro, that you would find a heart full of belief, that you would find a heart perfect in you, God, that you would marvel at the belief in my life, God, the faith in my life, God, that you would marvel at my unbelief, Lord. Find faith in this church, Lord, when you return. Find faith in this heart when you return, Lord. Please, God, I just pray that for us individually and as a church, Lord, to find faith in this church, God. Help us to hear you, Lord, tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.